The Anton Savage Show Saturday with Nifty Business on News Talk. I'm joined by Brenda Power, columnist with the Sunday Times and the Irish Daily Mail, and Paul Hayes, CEO of Beach Hut PR. And there is much to talk about this morning. Um, Paul Reid, apparently Paul Reid, of course, the previous chief executive of the HSE, the man who chaired the Citizens Assembly on drugs. The report suggests that he has been cozied up to as a possible new chair for RTE. Meanwhile, Kirsty Blake Knox in uh, the Indo has a very interesting piece on what the toy show was actually like, or rather the toy show, the musical, what it was actually like. And if, in case you missed it, apparently the Titanic raft riddle has been solved. You know the whole, did Jack need to sacrifice himself? We have the answer. There is more important stuff before that, including on the front page of the Irish Times this weekend, a report that ministers are in a heated or were in a heated row over data centres. This is Eamon Ryan, Green Party leader and Minister for the Environment, and Minister for Enterprise Simon Coveney at a cabinet committee who apparently were at daggers drawn over the issue of data centres and whether or not they should be encouraged to set up in Ireland. One assumes, Paul, in this instance, that Eamon Ryan was wary of the notion and Simon Coveney was enthusiastically in favour. Yeah. If they took their natural positions, you would imagine. So I, I think this is actually one of the biggest stories for the country for the next 10 years. This is our Ardna Crusher moment because... Data centres? Well, OpenAI opened here with Dogpatch Labs on Thursday. Uh, the data centres up to now have almost been passive repositories of data. They're now going to be active processors of data and maybe up to 10x, uh, you know, uh, users of, uh, of, of, of the technology within them. And if you think of it like this, we're As trying to As in we need be, 10 times the amount of data centres? Well, or 10 times the size or 10 times the processing ability. I mean, I'm, I'm always a great believer in that uh, uh, tech will innovate and it'll get there. But right now, that's really what they're talking about. And, you know, we're like a country now that wants a nation of bakers, but we're refusing to grow grain. We also have a global responsibility, which Eamon Ryan should take note of, in that we're cold enough. It was like that old councillor who said, uh, sure, we're great at the cloud computing, we've loads of clouds. And he was accidentally right. <laughs> uh, you know, it's almost impossible, you know, close to the equator to build data centres because you just can't cool them quick enough. From us up to Norway and maybe something in the south, I'm not entirely sure, we have a global responsibility to build data centres because they're but, but going to be the most efficient. And up to Norway is a lot of people that aren't us. That gives us Denmark, Sweden, Norway, Finland, Scotland, yes. Wales, England, Iceland, big chunks of Greenland, Northern Canada. There's a lot of landmass you can stick data centres on the, that aren't Ireland. The, absolutely, but there is a quid pro quo, whether it's said or not, in terms of we are a technology island and if we say no to data centres, are we cutting off our nose to spite our face? We already have an interconnected with France, so the nuclear will keep us going until our own windmills and everything else kick in. But this stuff is vital. It's, it's lifeblood for everything we, we do. How are we cutting off our nose to spite our face if we turn down further data centres? Because it shows that we're close to business too. Apple, Intel... And anyone, but sure, we've you know, already said to Apple, go away with your data centre and it hasn't had any impact on their investment in Cork. Uh, well, I, I think we we would probably behind the scenes be tying one hand behind our back with the IDA, with everyone else that's trying to, because it sends a signal. And it's also, there are, you know, it, it can't all be sunny uplet, uplands. We have a responsibility to do it. I think Eamon Ryan is wrong on this one and I think Coveney sees it. Maybe Dublin's full of data centres. Like we have a lot more space as well that it could be used for. But if we really, really are committed to renewable energy, this is what it'll be for. Now, Brenda, is this not the argument that has always been made in relation to the farmers? We've always been told if you don't pay massive prices for your medicines, we'll take our manufacturing elsewhere. And any time we have chipped away at prices, Pfizer continues to operate, Lilly continues to operate, 
the connection has never been proven. Is this the same now for data centres? Well, I, I completely defer to Paul on this because I'm not entirely sure. You know, I, I, I can see that the, the logic, though, about uh, the coolness, given the last couple of days, weather particularly, that we are well situated in geographically um, and, and in terms of temperature to be able to accommodate these things. Because I think that is the big, that's the big complaint, isn't it, about the waste of energy or the use of energy, water consumption, that these things have to be cooler. Hang on a minute. It is only 12 months since we were sitting. I remember this time last year, or rather this time maybe 18 months ago, we were facing into a winter where we're being told we're going to have brownouts, we're going to have blackouts. The grid is going to be on hanging on by the skin of its teeth in capacity to keep up with existing demand. Dump a whole pile of data centres in there. How do we? Yeah, it didn't happen though. No, actually, oh, we got very close. Mm. Again, I'm on. I'm on very thin ice here, but there is technology within these data centres and without where they actually become virtual utilities themselves. And we get a there. There is a possibility that we get another virtual grid that feeds the country more. Again. Too good to check, <laughs> and I don't have the depth. But there's hydrogen coming on stream. There's all sorts of things coming on stream. And again, God bless the French; they've given us an interconnector. And uh, you know, it's it's like sending our. Uh, I think the analogy with the healthcare is: yes, we make all the Botox and stents, and you know, um, diabetes monitors or whatever. But we send them around to Europe. Don't they don't really yeah. care the price we pay because we're one percent of Europe. It's more that we develop them here, we keep the jobs here, and then we feed the rest of Europe. Our data centers will feed the hotter countries in Europe where we go on holidays. It's funny, despite, uh, Brenda, you suggesting that you are not expert in this area, the point you raise has been picked up by text. The row over data centres only mentions energy. The big issue is water. The new AI chips use much more energy, but also need a lot more water for cooling, which I assume has implications for whereabouts in the country they get put. Well, the broad majestic Shannon, I'd be proud as a Tipperary man, as I always say, when I come on, I have to remedy it to see them up and down the length of the Shannon. Well, if we, you want, we, need, we need Shannon water already to keep Dublin supplied. Isn't well, this it? is you it. Get your we're, hands we're, off 20 our water. years into, into that discussion. <laughs> um, 53106 at a cost of 30 cents if you want to get in touch or WhatsApp 087 106. There is a piece in the, uh, there's several pieces throughout the papers relating to women and the roles in Irish society because we're coming up on National Women's Day. The Examiner has uh, an entire supplement in relation to the 100 most influential women. But there is a piece in the Times on online abuse putting women off political careers and they have a sort of a cast of the great and the good among female Irish politicians. There is Mary Harney, there's uh, Frances Fitzgerald, there's Joan Burton, uh, all of them talking about... For Tornishty. A fine point. Talking about the challenges that they faced and how abuse puts women off. Do women get a particular brand of abuse or is the suggestion that women are more susceptible to the abuse that is given to both genders? I I know, I think it's particularly um, vile abuse addressed to women. I was interested to see Frances Fitzgerald say that there's really nothing new in this, that this is not simply a product of social media, that this has been going on, that women have always been on the receiving end of generally it tends to be kind of sexualised abuse. And I I mean, I think the same is true of any women in, 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 in the public eye. I know The Guardian did an audit a few years ago of the sort of comments that appeared under female columnists as compared to male columnists um, articles and the women got so much more abuse and so much more personalised and so much more sexualised and your appearance, your dress, your age, that sort of thing. And I, I think, I mean, just some of the, 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 the issues that have arisen in the past while over women in politics getting abuse, you know, they actually are put in fear by stalkers, by threats, by people who know 
you know, where they live. You see, Carol Nolan's office was vandalised and the window broken. I mean, I, I do think that this is a real issue. I can't advocate. We had Simon Harris with people outside his house. We had Stephen Donnelly building a bigger fence because people were outside his house. We had Leo Varadkar with mm. people outside mm. his house. So there are, and Leo Varadkar came in for some fairly um, yeah. significant yeah. Uh, personal abuse in that in that setting. So will people not say, well, look, it is the same on both sides? No, I don't think it is. And I mean, that doesn't necessarily make it okay that it's, you know, that it's gender neutral. I don't believe that it is gender neutral. I think that women get far more, as I say, personalised abuse. Um, and if you look, I mean, as it was Holly Kearns or somebody had had to prosecute somebody, and I may be wrong about that, but there was a prosecution in the last while of like menacing, actual menace, which I don't think is as personalised towards men. And, you know, you are, there is a, a sort of a, a difference between a lone woman going home late at night mm. from, from a late sitting of the doll. I still don't understand why they have to be late or why they can't be more family friendly hours, but that's another day's work. Um, and a man, I'm sorry to say, but also there, there's no denying and I, I think those those four women would be able to put it in very much clear perspective. There is no denying that women get much, much more nasty, vile and menacing abuse than men do. Well, it's interesting to see the, the quotes that are in here. I mean, from Francis Fitzgerald, I get a lot of lies told about me and had to go to the Gardaí recently about a sort of threat to my sons. Then Mary Harney saying, I think political life is harder now than when we were there. And notwithstanding all the improvements... Um, social media is having a terrible impact. I spoke to two female TDs recently and the stuff they told me that is on social media, it is just horrendous. Yeah, I, I, I think social media is actually entirely to blame for the increase in it because it's just access with no consequences. And unfortunately, people who are both mentally ill or just wrong, they have a free reign. It was great to see those four women back together, actually, because it mm. reminds us of a time, you know, that was, they were great titans in their day. But I think, is entirely correct. It, there, it's at a different level and social media has just made it almost without consequence. I know Jennifer Carl McNeil, uh, you know, she took a, uh, well, she didn't take a case, it was a stalker, I think, mm. and mm. and maybe Holly maybe Kearns as well. Of, yeah, yeah. Um, so it is at a whole other level and social media ha- must have made it a hundred times worse. And then it's all the different platforms. So they'll, now, is it you that, get is barred it from one, you has made it worse or made it visible? Was it ever thus and it was just well, that it happened in, in pubs? Well, I think you, I, I think it might have happened in pubs, but when you were around people, there were decent other people that would stop it. I think it's the, it's the isolated yet broadcast nature of it with yeah. no restraint that really drives it over the edge. And I mean, back then, you know, before social media, they had to get out the green ink yeah. and the pen and paper uh, or turn up at your doorstep. But now, and given, you know, the prevalence of AI and deep fakes, you know, they get pornographic images with yeah. their own faces imposed, that sort of thing. That's a but fine point. I, I know I shouldn't focus on the wrong thing here, but you don't get a good green ink letter anymore. <laughs> Do you remember you used to get the ones where they would you know be anonymous and written one? in the margins? Get the odd one. Still. Still get the odd one. Yes, I do. Yep. Very. I believe Anne Doyle used to make a feature of reading out her ones in the RTE newsroom to great applause. Uh, you know, if they didn't go too bad. Yeah. <laughs> Mary Harney goes on, it seems people feel free to say anything about anyone and the social media companies are very slow to react. The answer is regulation and we need people not to be allowed to be anonymous online. That is, that's the issue. Yeah. That's the issue, Anton. I mean, if a newspaper published anything like what Twitter publishes or X or Facebook, they would be in the four courts before their feet touch the ground. There has to be accountability. These are not just billboards. These are these are media platforms. And once they have been notified of, a, of a, an, an accusation or, or a, a piece of material or content, they should be obliged to take them down. There's Can I give you a case in point on that, Brenda? Because it, it, it's uh, relevant. It's only four hours old, but you... 
an account on Twitter called Wall Street Silver put out a a tweet saying there are no consequences for attacking an NYPD officer even when it is captured on video. And they have a picture of a man flipping the bird to cameras as charges were dropped against Mm -hmm. him. Elon Musk has retweeted this saying, wow, meaning I, you know, I'm not commenting, but we all know that I'm commenting. Meanwhile, community notes from his own website is saying the reason charges were dropped in this case is because they found the other people who actually committed the crime and this is an innocent man. Now, this is one of the world's largest publishers who is actively defaming an individual with misinformation and nothing happened. I I like his cars, I like his rockets, I like even some of his solar walls, but I wouldn't give him the control of the telly on the social media site. He's like a moron of the... But if that's that's the norm for a platform of that scale, we are so far from a position where we can have forced... But that's a regulatory issue. That is a... I mean, that's... I'm sorry, governments have to catch up and they're well behind the progress that, that the social media platforms are making but there has to be some old fashioned regulation Yeah but that the problem is right. a pop up or a whatever it's just they've moved on too fast half the world is going to vote this year uh, Anya Kerr said this at the open of opening Open AI sorry I couldn't get that around me and uh, she said like disinformation and you know fake mm-hmm. uh, speech what Sora is going to do the Open AI video thing uh, it's the worst possible year for AI to have really come together because like all of the elections are so consequential and just the fake things of at an individual level. You know, we've we've got clients that clean up the internet because people are put on OnlyFans that were never on OnlyFans really? and it looks phenomenal. Like, I'm actually scared for what this year is going to bring but I don't think, unfortunately, make it illegal but I don't think regulation is going to do anything. Okay, then criminal up. prosecution. Crim- Absolutely, and it should be illegal. But you do need but somebody. Funny, I, you can it. almost feel the people getting ready to get on their <laughs> keyboards and saying, this is censorship, yeah. you're afraid of free speech, everybody should be allowed to express. No, but I mean, you can be, you, you know, defamation is a civil wrong. And if you don't at- attend and if you don't, you know, if, if, you're, if you're found in default, even in your absence, that can translate into a contempt of court. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there are routes by which this can be pursued. I, I mean, remember that, that deep fake of, of Leo Varadkar a couple of weeks ago or months ago advocating some bonkers financial um, prospect. And it was the most convincing thing I'd ever oh, seen. Oh yeah, and Sir Alistair Campbell suing Bank of Ireland or vice versa did the rounds there after an appearance on the Late Late. Completely false, but verified accounts because tweeting it right, right exactly left and centre. the same. You see, years ago, if these people produced maybe a fake newspaper, you could tell by the quality of the pictures and the print that it wasn't the real thing. Now there is no way of determining Are we even here? Screen. Case in point, Paul, during the week, you saw Charlie and the Chocolate Factory in the oh, UK. Outstanding. As I understand it, this was that they had used AI to generate effectively the website that would promote the event and the event turned out to be a warehouse with a couple of posters stuck on a wall. I I have to put my hand up and said I've avoided using ChatGPT but because we were going to the launch I decided to do it on Thursday to write a press release for a friend yeah. and oh my God, I it was like I discovered pure gold. It was amazing. But then you realise, no, even I can tell this was ChatGPT and I wouldn't trust the LLMs and a lot of large technology companies actually put it in their contracts. LLM, which, large language sorry, the large language, the underlying large language models that they pluck from which are mm. open source or closed or whatever but they're very, you know, they can come from anywhere and not necessarily filtered a lot of technology companies are now saying you may not use mm. AI mm. to you to do our communications mm. for us even if they're in that space because they know it's so early and it can be detected and I loved all the stuff in academia it wasn't that academics were using it or it was by the way it was two 15 year old interns that were in for the day that showed me how to use it and then showed me the humanizer so that their teacher wouldn't know that they'd use chat GPT uh, yeah. to do it I'm done I'm retiring <laughs> 
Uh, tech saying in relation to data centres which you were talking about we have way too many data centres here already and the other EU countries slammed limits on them a long time ago definitely we should not be allowed to build any more here as they use huge amounts of our electricity the massive Amazon centre that is now in construction will use the same amount of electricity per day as the whole of the greater Dublin area does now this was stated on Channel 4 about two years ago I don't accept the argument of wind power etc as it's well known that at present we don't have fossil fueled or we don't we have to have uh, fossil fuel powered plants um, to stay on standby, and this is before we get more data centres. I voted Green before, but if they don't stop new data centres opening here, I will be campaigning against the Green Party in all of the upcoming local and general elections from now on. Now, your answer to that, Paul, is, look, we have an interconnector and the French have nuclear power, so that'll do grand. Vive le nucléaire. Also, it's degrowth. It's it's the clearest, you know, programme for degrowth. So unless you do actually want to just go back and be... Uh, you know, a Marxist. It, it is absolutely... Also, there is some technical thing where the data centres don't actually use a huge amount of energy. What they do is they hoard a load of energy on their side of the grid because the only thing you can be fired for as a data centre manager is if your data centre goes down. Mm-hmm. So they make sure that there is always more energy than they need and there's lots of innovation that's already being deployed and they have... I think it's 30% has to be But they don't get that renewable. energy by licking it off the rocks. That it, comes from the grid. It, it Currently and then sometimes it is coming directly. I mean... Microsoft have built a nuclear plant to host a data center. Not here, but isn't it a pity? A small that, that nuclear we don't plant. have a Microsoft mini nuclear plant. Listen, ding, 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 whatever their noise is, what have they ever got wrong before? I would trust a Microsoft nuclear plant. We will move on to the story of who is going to take the role of chairperson as or of RTE because, Brenda, we have... Uh, time is taken. Three days, apparently, the government is going to tell us who it is. And the smart money so far seems to be in Paul Reed. Yeah, I mean, it's... I suppose it's like the, the same argument we should get Michael O'Leary in to run the health service. You obviously need somebody who has expertise in running a big business, not necessarily media. I think that may have been the, 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 the issue that was that rose before. But the thing is, I mean, who in their right mind, Paul Reid or anybody else, is going to take this on 31 grand a year for the amount of grief that is going to come with that job? But they definitely need, need somebody. They well, can I just on this? Because I've heard a couple of people say the thing of, you know, 31 grand a year who do it. I would say for people who are getting up today to go collect bins or go clean oh, hotel rooms, you'd look and say thirty-one grand is a year's they're not wages. In the running though for this, and and I mean I think this the chair of of the Bank of Ireland is on ten times that amount. So um, you know you're looking for somebody who will almost be prepared to do this on a voluntary basis, who already has I guess their money made in some other sector and has proved themselves in 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 running and them wants to risk their reputation on doing the gig and believes they can. But I suppose when you get to that level, Anton, you maybe have the ego that goes with the requirement of the job you would hope but they definitely need someone to come in there and really crack the whip and it doesn't necessarily need to be a media person so Paul Reid would seem to me to be Do you need the chair to be the whip cracker or do you need the chair to do the glad handing and get things out of the way while Kevin Backhurst whips out the whip? Um, I, I don't really know what the division of labour is at that <laughs> level, but um, you definitely need somebody um, and as the minister said the chair was her conduit to to the, you know to to the organisation, so it has to be somebody who's across everything and who is able to answer. And the thing that has struck me, say the the last number of months, is we seem to have put people in charge of a, an organisation whose business is communication, who do not appear to be able 
to communicate at the most basic level with one another. They come out of meetings, not sure even who was there, never mind what they said or what they meant. And and, and writing letters about meetings, about emails. I mean, I'm still flummoxed by I won't receive a letter. I still don't get that. I know, is that a little bit kind of Victorian maybe? <laughs> not accepting this. I, I think when you don't want something, you say, you say fax me. <laughs> sure. I didn't think of that. I, I, I think put Bosco in at this stage, it's a far. But is Paul Reed a good choice? Because Paul Reed, at least, I mean, Paul Reed has the, the he has done the thing of running the HSE, which means apart from the large scale organisation, he has familiarity with the government system. He's worked with ministers. He's worked on crisis issues because the HSE sure as hell generates all of those. And he's done the kind of chairmanship thing of steering the Citizens Assembly, which is hurting cats, let's be clear. So you would think he seems to have much of the talents you need. Yeah, well, if it's a government appointment now, which is what they're saying, that the the triumvirate, I was going to say Troika, uh, of the three party leaders are going to appoint someone uh, and, you know, he may as well be, but I'd say there was a few turned it down beforehand because they would have moved faster if they mm-hmm. if they could have. I, I think the real problem is you're managing decline, not necessarily within RTE as an organisation, but just the change that's going to go through terrestrial television, uh, that's going through everything else. And how do you retain that which is good about it uh, in a you know, catching a falling knife, as they say. Mm. And and maybe he's the guy who can run political interference and the government like him, but then that's also bad if the government are... Ex- you know, I wouldn't have the... Uh, even Micheál Martin brought that up going, it's all very well now, but we really shouldn't be, you know, too influential over RTE. Well, is there a thing to be said, Brenda, possibly, that if you look at it and you say, OK, the government has now just lost uh, a chairperson... Mm. They can't afford to lose another one. That'll make them look well, bad. Well, that's true. That will put whoever comes in in Correct. a strong They can't lose Kevin right. Backhurst because nobody else will run the place. So we need Backhurst to stay. Yeah. They really need this issue to go away at this point. Mm. And we're getting to the point where people generally, including the media, are thinking, oh, enough, oh, enough, just, just go away and sort it, lads. Is that not a good time to become well, chairperson? Yeah, but you do need somebody also who won't just sort of rest on that particular laurel, who will come in and say, oh, look, tell me how bad it is. Tell me the worst that everything can possibly get and then we'll deal with that going forward and then put it all out there and then when you have made some progress in six months say look how well I did. Look how, you know, so concentrate on on, on, on the, the advances rather than the the, the, the you know, the disadvantages, but I would say get to your end position first, find out how bad it is and put it all out there because that has not happened today. Yeah, I think also the, you know, the unions were very quiet about actually the redundancy and exit packages mm. and everything else because there's about to be a huge number of them and real ones. Mm. You know, the last redundancy was not real, mm. you know, it just wasn't. Uh, what did they do? Get rid of 20 or 30 or 40 mm. people and then someone else made themselves redundant and, you know. Well, people said they resigned and then it turned out they were made redundant and then... Or they they apparently resigned in an in an act of of self immolation, and then we discovered that that came with a check. Yeah. Um, inside the Indo, Kirsty Blake Knox has gone back to first principles to analyse where this particular scandal started. With the headline, "Toy Show: The Musical Plans Show," uh, just how blind RTE was to its own PR guff. And in what is a fairly searing piece, she talks about how the original pitch said that on entering the venue, families and children would walk through a carefully curated world with sets, costumes and memorabilia from previous toy shows. As she says, a bit like the ghosts of toy shows past. She said it would sit side by side with Christmas themed installations. Quotes, imagine the magic of Switzer's Christmas windows circa 1985. The business plan reads. sound like a bad idea. I know Paul saw it, but it, it doesn't sound like now, a Now, it is bad juxtaposed idea. with a picture of the end result. 
Now that end. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh huh. Do you remember you used to save fairy liquid bottles to make stuff mm, in school? Mm, right. Yeah. Mm. Paul was one of the very few in year in, in your grandkids will bounce on your knee and say, "Granddad, tell us what Toy Show the musical was actually okay, like." First, I start have, us off. First, I have to declare that a lot of people in RT are friends of mine. <laughs> Just uh, accidentally but setting that to one side. Object. Tell us about the musical. The show itself was really great. My family dragged me to a lot of West End musicals, and while I'm not a huge fan, the 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 songs, the kids, the story was great. It probably just missed the zeitgeist of young kids thinking they were seeing a live version of the mm. toy show rather than a story about yeah. what happens on the toy show. And then there was COVID and then there was too big a venue and there was too big of everything. So it didn't work, but it was a, you know, I, what can I say, culturally or, or or the standard of the show itself, maybe not the entrance hall. Mm. Uh, and it was probably in too big a venue because that was the only venue that was left and all that kind of stuff. But it's like in fairness to the Taliban at this stage, I'm kind of like, <laughs> how am I defending it? But I really thought it was a great show. According to Kirsty Blake Knox, the business band claimed the programme represents, this is the toy show itself, an emotional and formative experience for the entire population of Ireland. It says that the toy show left a sizable untapped surface a surplus of demand and said that the uh, musical would give uh, benefits beyond the gates of RTE, stage shows, tours and pantomimes, which generate premium revenue. Did it tick all those boxes, Paul? It actually kind of did. It's just probably... It was the wrong start mm. because of the time. It should have launched in London and it would have been fine, but then no one would have known anything. No, no, like no, Tuberty, no. you have to go to London. Maybe now, because I'm an absolute cynic, <laughs> and I will admit this, I, uh, Paul said all this and I thought, well, he is unique among people in the world to take this view because having read all the coverage, the, this has disaster written all over it. And then, Brenda, you said, you know of other people who have I know people who and they were positive. And they all said the same thing. And I saw somebody proposing that maybe the copyright should be circulated or available to local drama groups. Yeah. And, and and at least get somebody let somebody get some benefit out. Yeah. But I don't know whether it'd be it'd be really practical for a local group to. But well, does that mean that at the heart of this there was a thing that might actually have worked if fortunes Absolutely. had come out the other although, way? Although I know I, really? I saw I did see a piece a few weeks ago from one of the early scriptwriters on it talking about the absolute chaos that reigned, and they had apparently they had told the board or whoever oversight committee that uh, the script was really well developed when nothing wasn't a word on paper that sort of mm. thing. But uh, she, she, I mean, these. Were were very well established, you know, script writers or, or competent people in the industry who were drafted in. In theory, it, it, it could have worked. Yeah. As you, I'm not sure what your experience, Brandon, but I have been involved in many things that have been in, in terrible chaos until moments yeah. before they occurred and then it all worked out quite this well. This is the opposite. You know, this is the opposite to springtime for Hitler where oh they thought God. this is going to be absolutely fantastic. Nothing <laughs> can possibly okay. go wrong. Well, we're not producing <laughs> anything. The, the opposite. The opposite uh, vibe. Now, the other hugely significant story, I know you've been waiting for this since we began discussing the news of the weekend, but the hugely significant story is brought to us by the Daily Mail, which which um, under the headline solved Titanic raft riddle as prop set to fetch 40k proof Jack didn't need to die. Paul, do you want to explain this to us? I, I went up for the midterm to the Titanic experience in Belfast with my kids and they watched oh. it on the way back down on the iPad. Um, they watched the movie, my daughter and her friends, and they said, Kate let him die, didn't she? <laughs> Look, he had Cynical to die. Cynical 10-year-olds. He absolutely had to die. No, sorry, let me just put this in context for people unfamiliar with Titanic, <laughs> the movie. But you will recall at the end, there is a scene where they appear to be floating on the door of a wardrobe, which is actually the top of the stairs in the ship. Yeah. And 
Uh, Jack, the Leonardo DiCaprio character, attempts repeatedly to get on top of it and it keeps uh, capsizing and eventually he decides, ah, feck it. I'll just sit in the water and die while she floats. Yeah, so what they've said is basically what this item actually was, was they reckon it was the point at which the ship snapped in half when it tur- when it when it went upright in the water and that it was a, an elaborate door panel over a door at the top of the main staircase. So they reckon it was about eight feet long. So in theory, and this is what it is copied on, based on, um, there is no reason why he couldn't have got up on it as well. But listen, I mean, the same <laughs> the way, argument, sorry, the same argument. Favourite text of the morning has come in saying, spoilers, thanks, Anton. <laughs> 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 the, but, I mean, Titanic 2 Another potential spoiler if you haven't seen uh, One Day the same argument that why, why did why did a, a senior No, no, no Don't but the, but Let's anyway, do the crying game the next The argument is <laughs> <laughs> The argument the, the, you know, every love story has to end in somebody dying it has to for, for it to be the you know, when you think of every love story that you've ever watched for it you know, it ends in happy marriage live happily ever Harry after Harry and Sally Those both make it Give it time. (laughs) (laughs) Every major classic, (laughs) every classic love story ends with with some Romeo and Juliet, you know, right up to Titanic. Love means never having to say or sorry. The the critical bit in this, though, is James Cameron has long been tetchy about this. And he Mm. says that because people speculate about whether or not they both, um, spoiler, could have survived. Mm. Um, He points out that they attempt to both get on the thing and it sinks in both instances. According to this, the actual bit of prop is now for sale and they have measured the dimension of it. It is, an, it is an eight foot piece of oak that is, according to this, intricately carved, bearing a striking resemblance or uh, representing a Louis XV style. And it is uh, modelled on a panel that's housed in the Maritime Museum in Halifax, uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia. And according to people who have now analysed it, buckets of buoyancy. I've, I've never seen a nine foot tall blue avatar either. I think James Cameron's been lying to us. But also, here's the thing. I mean, when I say that he had to die, did you really want to see them 20 years down the line yeah. fighting over who put the bins out? You know, yeah. this, this great romance young, had, to, had to end. Frozen in time, literally yeah. frozen. I still don't <laughs> understand why she threw the oak in the sea. Oh, because it was love and she didn't want material possessions. Oh, the, the like fabulous the diamond, reference. I don't yeah. get that either. She was 102 anyway, wasn't she? That was you going to be benefited from. Surely there's somebody yeah. who would have... Why? Her granddaughter let her through. Anyway, if you want to buy the, the plank... relationship. <laughs> if you want to buy the plank that the two of them tried to float on, it is up for sale at a starting price of $40,000. Um, and apparently the most expensive cinema, cinema prop ever was Robbie the Robot from the 1956 film Forbidden Planet. Have either of you heard of How Robbie the Robot? Or right. Robert Robert? Guess. I don't know. 50 grand? 5.3 million <laughs> quid. I thought Marilyn Monroe's... Oh, it wasn't a... It wasn't a um, but you would have thought it would be something like, what the hell is Robbie the Robot? I know. <laughs> I, I think there's a Forbidden Planet comic shop near here. I'll go and find out what it was. Appreciate yeah. it. Text yeah. us in afterwards, uh, Paul, when you, you get that information. We'll read Michael. it out. Um, that is it for Brenda and for Paul. Guys, thank you very much. Paul Hayes, CEO of Beach Hut PR and Brenda Power columnist with the Sunday Times. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday. With Nifty Business. Saturday morning at nine. On News Talk.